The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. You know, when you take your dogs out for the first time to hunt, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, you know, how, how long does it take them before they get it? And I said, depends on the dog, depends on the bird, depends on, the, you know, the, the, the conditions. And it's one of the things to know when you start chasing different species that, like that, that dog that I told you about, Timber, the setter, I was beside myself when I took him Bob White hunting for the first time in Oklahoma. He just, just couldn't seem to get it. Why is it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And, and generally speaking, I mean, you know, if you pay attention and keep your mind open, you'll learn a lot on those trips that you, that you, don't, oh, yeah. you, know, you don't see a lot of birds. So, um, yeah, we, we, I did a trip one time to uh, Michigan to hunt woodcock and, and grouse and and uh we were staying at the the kind of the classic i think you've been up to the north country right so mm-hmm. you know there's there's these little what they call resorts which are like four cabins nestled on a lake yeah. somewhere those are great places by the way to to use as a base to hunt birds because there's nobody in them that time of year they're happy yep. to rent them uh they don't care whether you bring dogs in the house it's you know they're they're pretty ideal and we had just figured out like on the first couple of days, basically on previous experience that I had back East, the bird, the woodcock were using the still green ferns as their, as their mid-level cover. So they were, they were, you, you know, you could stem density was important, but it wasn't nearly as important as finding ferns that these birds could walk around under and, and probe for worms. 
And uh, and I'm talking about ferns that were like up to your chest, you know. Yeah. So it was like to them they were just like aspens, yeah. were young aspens. <laughs> but anyway, we were killing them. I mean, we were we were we were finding birds, and every night we were coming back to the cabin, and we had hired the little kid that the the son of the the couple that that owned the place, and he was cleaning birds for us. And and one morning, the these there were two guys staying in another cabin that had come all the way from Virginia and we weren't paying attention to what they were doing, but apparently they weren't doing well. And they came up to us in the morning and they said, Hey, looks like you guys have been doing pretty well. I said, yeah, we're, we're finding some birds. And they said, yeah, we're not, we're just not finding, we're not finding birds. And I said, John Woodcock. And they said, yeah, I said, wow, that's too bad. You know, um, they said, do you mind giving us any hints on like, where we should go or what, you know, where what what to we look should for. Hide. And I said, uh, I said, well, I looked at the guy who was asking the questions and I said, well, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> and, and without missing a beat, he points to his buddy and he goes, well then tell him. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and then, and, and we kind of let, you know, had the joke and I said, this, you know, this is what we're hunting. We're hunting. We're finding them in these ferns and yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you where I'm going, but you know, I'm look telling you what ferns. to look for because yeah. that's, that's where, that's where they are. Yeah. And, and, and they had to be green. They couldn't be crispy because they had had frost in certain low spots. Oh. And if they were, if they were crunchy, they, they lost, you know, they, they lost the aspect of, of, you know, upper cover. Right. So it was one of those little things that you, you know, you, you figure out because, well, and, and again, back to the listener I was talking about earlier that's like, well, why would you go out of state to go hunt more birds if you live in, you know, Woodcock Heaven where you were in upstate New York? And that right there, you learn more about it, you know, just because yeah. you can shoot them on your own home turf, you know exactly where they're coming and going from. It's like just getting out and hunting the same species of bird in a new location can give you a whole new respect for that bird. And it sometimes it can, can take a day or two to figure them out. And it kind of makes you feel dumb. It's like, I shoot limits of these every day back home. I drive 12 yeah. hours North and I can't even find the buggers. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and sometimes that's, that's a local, you know, uh, it's a local thing in terms of there's a slightly different type of cover that they're in. Sometimes it's a soil thing, right? Yeah. Like the, the the soils that you're used to hunting them in, where they're that hold worms. If we're talking about woodcock, you know, yeah. where where you are at home, you know, and you don't realize that whatever the, the vegetation is that looks just like that and has the right stem density and should hold woodcock, but the leaves are acid and they change the pH of the soil and there are no worms there. Yeah. That you know that that changes the whole deal and you gotta you know you could figure it out kind of by trial and error if you pay attention yep. and then make notes, you know? So, and I mean that, that one example has come up on this podcast a couple of times over this past month, just the soil, you know, Sandy versus clay, you know, the right. t it, all that stuff plays into it and you don't, you don't get that full appreciation of it until you travel and you see, you see new areas and new territory to cover, uh, whether it's the same bird or not. Uh, but that is one thing that you've kind of done. You you didn't just focus on rough grouse and woodcock. You didn't just right. focus on quail. You did it all. You you, you <laughs> correct, correct me if I'm wrong. You you've completed the upland slam. Is that correct? I have shot eighteen of the of the upland birds. 
there it used to be a 20 bird slam uh but the prairie, lesser prairie chicken has no. has come off the list so now technically it's it's like a 19 and a wild card yeah. you know um and in fact my the guy that i was telling you about the other day he and i were talking about it he's trying to get his latest dog through this the slam and he was wondering what he was going to do about the 20th bird um and we talked about you know it could be a snipe it could be you know it could be a columbia sharp tail it could you know you can and i actually half jokingly said well you could just shoot a dusky and a sooty grouse and call it too you know i mean <laughs> that i mean it's 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 more about the coming up with a quest it doesn't matter you know you can fill in the bird names however you want well right? that that's exactly what i was about to ask you is your definition of the upland slam because you know it's like the majority of the species and types of birds everybody's going to agree on but then it's right. just like okay do you, you know there are some people that consider turkeys an upland bird i don't yeah. uh but some people do and then uh do you consider the himalayan snowcock an achievable thing on the slam you know what do you think about I, that i i don't i don't and it's only because my definition of the slam involves to, to be successful the bird has to be taken in the air over a point so it doesn't Love even it. it doesn't it doesn't even count if you sh if you flush one wild and you kill it it doesn't count if you know the if the so it's it's got to be for me it has to be over over a point and and so you know take out any of the birds I mean Himalayan snowcock is more like and I'm not saying anything to degrade that that's a that's a if I was 20 years younger I'd be up there doing it <laughs> um, but. You know that's sheep hunting with a shotgun is what <laughs> is what that is. You know, I mean, it really is. And, yeah. and 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 frankly, to that to that extent, you know, two out of the three ptarmigan are closer to sheep hunting than they are to upland bird hunting because you at least the way we hunted them, you literally glassed them, and then, and then you could go up there with and you could go up there with a pointing dog, and the dog would point them, and you could shoot them, but you weren't like out with a dog that was casting interesting you know, looking fine game because i mean some of them sometimes you came on a rock ptarmigan um or a whitetail that way but more often than not you'd, you'd see them just by looking up on the talus slope yeah. and then you'd, you'd just go up there so um so uh but, let, let's continue on the dog work right there because you just okay. said that it doesn't count for you unless it's over a point. And, and I kind of right. hunt the same way w with me, whether mm -hmm. I even take one or not. Like I try not to shoot any busted birds. I'm not going to say I've never done it. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to say I won't ever do it again, but that's, I'm out there to shoot birds over my dog. So I will forego uh -huh. the opportunities. What were some of the other requirements or commonalities that you trained your dogs up to, uh, to chase all these birds? And were there certain qualities just start with that and then we'll kind of break it down to what qualities fit different species the best. It's a, it's a great question. Um, uh, because the, you know, the, the, the different birds are, are, you know, are just that they're different. And, and sometimes my experience, in fact, I was, I was at a training seminar two summers ago, I think with Rick Smith. And at one point in time, somebody in the class asked a question about, you know, my, I, I had my dog here and he hunted fine on, you know, on grouse and woodcock where I live, but I took him to hunt quail or something. And he, and he, you know, he didn't seem to be able to get it. And Rick and I had had enough time chatting on the side where he turned to me and he goes, well, Keith, like, 
you know, when you take your dogs out for the first time to hunt, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, you know, how, how long does it take them before they get it? And I said, depends on the dog, depends on the bird, depends on the, you know, the, the, the conditions. Yeah. But what I would say day in and day out, it's at least a couple of days, you know, you'll, you'll see a dog that points chuckers and huns all day long. Like it's his business, which it is. And you take them and put them on a woodcock and he might bump the first three or four, you know, yeah. and he's not even sure that that's something that's supposed to matter, you know? Um, so it's, it's different. That's it's, and it's one of the things to know when you start chasing different species that, um, you know, like that, that dog that I told you about that was, you know, so good on, on Chuckers and Hans timber, the setter, I was beside myself when I took him Bob White hunting for the first time in Oklahoma. He just, just couldn't seem to get it. And I was like, and it wasn't that he was busted birds. He just didn't seem to be finding them. And he's usually the dog that finds, you know, like 75%. If I have two dogs on the ground, he's finding three quarters of the birds. Yeah. And he, and he was just like sucking hind tit the whole week you know he just he was not finding birds let, and, let, and, let's stick with that example what just play tailgate biologist or tailgate dog trainer in this scenario what was it on that trip was it the covey birds was it just the scent was it maybe the difference in the air maybe it was drier down there i mean kind of give me your your yeah. takes on it i i think a big part of it was um actually the type of cover um because he's he was a covey dog i mean he hunted chuckers and huns were his right. bread and butter um and he hunted a lot of dry you know wyoming it's dry a lot i mean it's right. drier than most places uh but the thing about bob white hunting i don't know if you've ever hunted bob whites in 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 oklahoma i've done oklahoma it's very different than hunting them like in texas where i've hunted them where you get out in a mesquite pasture and the birds could be kind of anywhere, mm -hmm. just like chuckers could be anywhere in a big sage, you know, flat. But those Bob whites are very, very, uh, except, except mid morning when they're out feeding, they are very, very much going to be stuck in a plum thicket. And those plum thickets are visual objectives and my buddy who lives there, I mean, his dogs ran from plum thicket to plum thicket to plum thicket. They knew what they were doing and they found, you know, 90% of the birds. And my dog was out there sweeping the country like he does when he's hunting chuckers. And those plum thickets to him were, you know, if, if he happened to cross next to one on a cast, great. But he wasn't running to him to check them. Whereas those short hairs, that, that this was their bread and butter. They, they were, they were going to where the quail were, Yeah, you know, so they had a huge leg up, you know, and that's experience. It is nothing but experience in my opinion. It may have been a little bit of the, they smelled, they didn't smell the same, but I mean, they smelled yeah. fine. You know, to him. I, I think it's interesting how people will be so quick, you know, they go out and they, they hunt a new species in a new area. They'll give themselves a break 
be like, oh, well, I've never been up here before. <laughs> I'm just figuring out the birds. Point. But then yeah. the dogs, you know, that say they bump a bunch of birds, this dog's good for nothing. And it's like you you right. have a learning curve just as much as the right. dog. Uh, I'm not one to think that it's necessarily the bird scent or, or like a, one bird smells more than the other. Uh, this is just my personal take. I, I kind of think of it as if they've never been in an area, the cover's completely different. You know, they have to kind of connect the dots. They have to know yeah, we're actually after that bird because you have to think about even in your home, like your home area, your home range, the dogs learn what birds you're targeting and which birds you're not. You know, right. some dogs will pop at a robin. Some, some will point right. a crow, like, but they kind of figure out over time, oh, we're not after them. And so right. they, they also have that time. They have to figure out that you are after a new species when you go to a new area. That's just kind of my take on it. And then, of course, you can add in conditions, uh, you know, humidity level, elevation, what, what have mm-hmm. you. But to me, it's just like if you're going to give yourself a couple days to figure it out and a little bit of cushion, give your dogs the same benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and by the same token, you know, I don't know about you, but my dogs tend to point way more birds than I seem to be able to hit. And, <laughs> and, 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 and so like, I don't want to be the first one to cast stones, you know, cause I make way more mistakes than they do in a day. So. I guarantee you if, if, <laughs> if my dogs were as big of a critic as I am of their dog work, if they're, if they're criticizing my shooting, they would have left yeah. me last year. Cause that was, yeah. that was the worst shooting I've ever had in my life was last season. Um, so again, you know, you, you've been all over, um, kind of guide me through like, was it the grouse slam in Wyoming once you moved there that kind of got your head spinning around? Let's let's start making a, a list and knocking it off. Or was that just kind of part of the plan all along uh, after your Texas and New Brunswick trips? So, so I didn't really get into – there were a couple of birds that I had thought I really wanted to hunt, um, you know, going back some years. Uh, you know, where I – like I said, I started out hunting, you know, grouse and woodcock, had hunted pheasants. Uh, kind of became disenchanted there, um, had hunted the quail down in Texas and actually wound up making a number of trips to hunt quail in Texas, spread out over quite a number of years. And then I kind of lost my contacts down there um, and haven't been in, in quite a while. And their numbers, they had a lot, really hard time for quite a few years with the numbers. But um, the one, the, the, the bird that was on my really on my list um the most was ptarmigan and i just i just thought and 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 it wasn't going to be ptarmigan in colorado it had to be alaska just because that's how i envisioned it would happen someday um and so i uh i i decided to go out and hunt and that was probably 20 15 or something like that. I, I went out there and, um, and the guy to the, the outfitter that I called, cause we knew, we knew we wanted to fly out for at least a couple of days. Uh, cause that's kind of the ultimate Tarmigan trip. Right. And, and, uh, the, uh, the guy that, that I talked to, I asked him for references and, and he gave me this guy, Jim Sorensen to, to talk to, who is the guy that I've told you that is the, he's done the 20 bird deal with two of his dogs and is in the process of a third. Um, I talked to him on the phone and we just hit it off and, and 
said, well, we should get to hunt together sometime. And it just turned out we were both going to Alaska the same week. And so we met and we wound up actually flying out one day together um, and, and hunting and in talking to him, I was like, so, you know, what's this 20 bird slam thing that you're doing, you know? And he told me what, what he was up to. And I pretty quickly went, you know, I don't need to do that. I, you know, I, I would maybe like to do it for myself as opposed to over a particular dog. Right. Um, but I, but it just kind of got my mind clicking a little bit and, and, uh, by chance I did not go up there with the thought that I was going to try and do that. But, but by chance I shot all three ptarmigan in two days, um, and kind of went, and, and the guide would say, wow, that's like really unusual. That does, you know, we got really lucky. Um, and I kind of went, huh. So I turned to this guy, Jim and said, so like, what, you know, how does that, he goes, well, uh, you know, there's, there's eight grouse, you know, he, he knows all, all <laughs> his, there's eight grouse and I'm sure you've shot a rough grouse and you've shot sharp tails. You told me. And, and I kind of went, Oh, so the only thing left is a prairie chicken. So I was like, all right, well, it seems like I should go do that then, you know? So I went and did that in 2017. Um, so that finished the grouse slam of eight, eight grouse. And then um, literally from again, because of, of Jim and I, I, I did the, the next year I did my odyssey, which was when I did the big, the big trip. Actually, that was the year I shot the prairie chicken was right at the beginning of that odyssey trip. Okay. And then I went down to Arizona cause I had Merns was another one of those Bucket epic list. Myth, myth, mythic birds, <laughs> you know? Um, and I went down and shot, um, you know, shot Merns. And while I was there, I shot the last desert quail that I hadn't shot before, which was the gambles. Um, and then kind of at the end of that trip, I went, well, there's only one quail left, you know, and that's the mountain quail. And so, um, again, my buddy Jim, who had hunted mountain quail before, he was like, oh, I'll go hunt mountain quail again. You know, let's, let's go do it next year. So we set up a trip to go to California and do that. Um, and so I, I, I collected that and it was only after I had done both the grouse, uh, yeah, the grouse and the quail that I said, well, it seems pretty weird that I have lived in Wyoming for 20 years and never shot a rough grouse in Wyoming when I've shot rough grouse in like three Canadian provinces (laughs) and, and, you know, all these other places. So I, I said, well, maybe I'll see if I can shoot all four grouse in, in one, you know, in in one season. So, um, so I did that. And, and, uh, and at this point for me, it's way more about like the trip, Mm -hmm. like the the quest, if you will, gives me a reason and a, and a, and a way to kind of put the, put a trip together. Cause at this point I'm retired and I've got nothing but time and, 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 uh, you know, when I pull, I have a, travel trailer that I pull behind me and that odyssey that I talked about was, I kind of forgot the numbers now, but I think it was something like a 11 species in nine States in three months, mm-hmm. 7,000 miles of driving, something like that. Um, and I just followed the birds. I mean, I just kind of went, 
I started in the north and I worked my way down to Arizona in in December and and uh, you know and did it that way and and had a ton of fun and met a bunch of people and and sort of similar to what we're doing here when I when I when I went to do the Merns hunt we stayed in Sonoida uh, down in Arizona which is just that's that's not that's not a secret to anybody (laughs) anything about Merns quail. It's like where that's where people go. Um, and actually one of my favorite parts of that trip was sitting around in the inn at night doing basically a tailgate talk with guys from all over the country. And there was a lot of this, you know, like I would be saying, yeah, you know, I've been hunting. This is like my, you know, I've been on the road for three months and there was another guy who was like, yeah, well, this is, I've been hunting 90 days so far this, this year, you know, and I'm going here next and don't go there. Cause there's no birds there this year. You know? And so <laughs> it's a, it's a great networking thing and you get ideas. So kind of coming full circle on your question, it's, it's now really not the literature anymore. It's the people that I know and the guys that I meet and who say, Oh yeah, you know, you, you gotta go here. That, you gotta go there. Yeah. If you've done this, you need to do that. Or, yeah. you know, or don't bother doing that this year. Try and do it, you know, if the numbers are better next year. And so it sounds like, I mean, uh, the bulk of your species that you've kind of knocked out came from the Odyssey trip, traveling around. But you, you've flown to places. You've flown to, you flew to Alaska. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I've never done that with a dog. I've never flown mm-hmm. with a dog. How recently have you done that? Is Is it like, how difficult is it to to look into flying somewhere with your dog and is there a certain like time limit or distance that you would put on it comfortably for yourself and your own dog? It's a good question. Uh, let's see. I did the, the last time I flew a dog was it's probably, it was definitely the first Ptarmigan trip that I took. Well, if you count the flight in the super cub, in 2018, that was the last time I had, I had two dogs in the super cub when we went, but I had driven to get there. So, um, but, but two years earlier than that, I had, I had flown my, my French Brittany up. Um, could I felt like I could only take one dog, you know, I mean, cost wise. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, well, I do know that my, this guy, Jim, that we were, I was just referencing, he flew up last year to Alaska and he flew, one dog and he actually flew alaska airlines and said it was pretty reasonable it was something like a 125 bucks round trip for the dog i think no but but i will say that that i do know that not all the airlines will even take dogs anymore and there's a generally speaking there's a big deal and anybody who any breeder would tell you this in terms of sending puppies is the temperature's got to be between X right. and Y when they're leaving and where they're going to land and the flight can only be so long. And so it's just, you got to just and ultimate, figure it out. Ultimately, that's why I haven't really looked into it just because I don't mm-hmm. want the pain of uh, scheduling, figuring out the trip, right. where I'm going, and then have it all fall apart because, you know, a bad storm comes through or something. Right. I, and then I'm just right. sitting here like, oh, well, I could have already been halfway to, you know, Wyoming. Uh, but instead, I'm yeah. sitting here at the airport because I wanted to try and cheat the system and fly instead of drive. Uh, so yeah. I was just kind of curious about, like, how, how touch and go is that? 
you know, I, I've never had a problem with whether when I, when I've been flying with the dog, um, I get the impression that that's more of a, like if you're sending the dog, cause you won't be around to deal with any issues. Um, cause when you, when you send a dog, like, you know, if I'm sending a dog to you, cause you bought a puppy from me, um, there's a lot more lead time at the front end and then how, when you're going to pick up the dog at the other end, I think, but you know, I think the, the bottom line is I, I, if I had the time, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fly a dog pretty much anywhere that I could drive to reasonably. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and, and again, that this guy, Jim, that I keep talking about, you know, he, Two years in a row, he drove from Iowa to Alaska yeah. to get those birds on on his bucket list for these two dogs. And, uh, you know, it was only this last time that he went that he finally flew. And, he, and actually, he had a good experience and said he would do it that do it way again. again. So it's, it's really interesting. You know, before I got into the dog world, you know, somebody says, go drive 18 to 20 hours. You're like, you're crazy. I'm not driving 18 to 20 hours. But once you get your first 20 hour trip in, you're just like, ah, eh, what's 30 hours? You yeah. know, as long as you have the time and you're not wasting half your trip on driving time and you got to be right. back for work. Uh, driving's not that bad, you know, pl- plug in some yeah. podcasts, some music, whatever, and, and go see the country. Yeah. I mean, we used to, you know, I mean, if, as long as you got two guys and you can switch off, yeah, that helps. we would leave it like, you know, if it was a 20 hour trip, we'd leave at five o'clock the night before drive through the night, get there, you know, in the early in the morning and, and, and sleep for a few hours and then go hunting. You yeah. Know? So, um, it's, it's all on what you and 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 in those days I lived back east. Now I live in Wyoming. I drive two hours to get groceries. So <laughs> you know, it's like a, it's 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 not a big deal to to to, to drive five hours or something yeah. to you know to go hunt or or eat twenty hours. It's just not that big a yeah. deal. So well, I want to I want to pick your brain a little bit. Uh, it's not very often that I get to. Uh, kind of talk to somebody that has 30 years of bird hunting experience across the entire country like you have in your years of traveling and doing all this stuff what are some of the tricks that you've learned or or just really just the safeguards that you put in place when you're driving with your dog you know that's what most of the listeners do with their dogs kind of walk us through your frame of mind and how you go about planning traveling with your dog it's a, it's a fair question. We, I mean, one of the things, whenever I'm going with, with a lot of the trips that I have done have been with one other buddy. Um, and so it's typically four dogs and we've never had a trailer. So it's, it's always like figuring out how to get four dogs in a back of a pickup truck or whatever it is. Yep. And, and so just the, the logistics themselves of fitting everybody in um, and, and long ago for like my buddy, Joel and I, who have done a lot of trips together, we, we long since went to a, a pretty big rocket box on top of the truck. Cause, and I'll back up and just say like, when, when we go do one of these trips, I mean, it's a, I love to cook. We, you know, I bring a kitchen with me cause I know that most places that you're going to rent are not going to have the stuff that I necessarily want if I'm going to cook. And I might bring some ingredients that I don't think I could get when I get there. Right. You know, if I'm in, if I'm if I'm in the North Country in Minnesota, I'm not going to find 
the right, you know, stuff that I, that I might want. So anyway, so that's all to say, just maybe we have a little bit more gear than you might imagine. If you were just saying, Oh, two guys are going to go hunting and, and, and bring a couple of dogs. So we got four dogs, we got a bunch of stuff. So the rocket box gets filled. Um, we, we all have given a lot of thought to, um, the type and size of, of kennel crates with, that we use. So mm-hmm. we all pretty much have gone to the roto molded, you know, it's not quite accurate to say the smallest one that a dog can fit in, but, a, but, but the, the dog needs to be in order to be safe in there, the dog can't bounce around. If yeah. you, you know, if you get in a minor wreck or something, so you want them so to we, where they can just barely turn around exactly, and, and lay down. Exactly. And, and then that way, yep. if something does happen, you know, that momentum and inertia can't build up for them to right. slam in the side of the crate. Exactly. And, and actually for a long time, when I had Brittany's, um, I would bring one of those kennels and put two dogs in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then bring a collapsible kennel because it took up less room and that bought us some space. So, um, there you go. That's again, a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 and, and that's, that's basically safer for the dogs and they're perfect, especially if they're kennel mates, they're perfectly happy to, you know, to lay in there together. They're, that's not a problem. Yeah. Um, when you get where you're going, um, or before you get where you're going, know where the vet is. Yep. Make the make the call ahead of time. Know what their hours are. Um, know whether or not they do emergency. Get the emergency number if if you know. And I I had a dog um, uh, on my mountain quail hunt a few years ago. Very first morning on a Saturday, uh, my setter never figured out exactly what he did, but he came out of the woods limping after a two hour run. And he, his entire foreleg was swollen and the swelling was working its way up his leg to his shoulder. By the time we got to the end, and, and it was like right at noon and I knew the vet closed at noon and I called them from the field and they said they'd stay open for us. And they felt bad enough that they didn't even charge us the emergency fee, That's but nice. I was able to get him in, get him looked at get him medication. He, and he was done for the, so talk about logistics. You yeah. can't go with one dog. He was done for the week. He couldn't. Yeah. So he, he, they were, she was very concerned that he would have some kind of deep infection because the bruise was so bad. So to explain what it looked like, it, it looked like he had probably stepped in a hole between two rocks. And as he went forward, oh. mashed his fore leg against the rock. Yeah. And, and cause it was just, it was like a raspberry down the whole front and it just, the swelling went right up his leg all the way about up into his shoulder. Um, anyway, so that's a key piece of the logistics. Um, knowing, you know, doing as much as you can to figure out what you're getting into when you get there in terms of, can you buy food at the local grocery? Can you, you know, I mean, can you buy beer on Sundays? That's, you know, all those kinds of forget all that. Just getting gas in some areas is a tricky gas in some areas. Right. So, um, so we do all that kind of stuff up front and then, um, what about pit stops? Like, do you have a general rule of thumb how often you're you're airing out the dogs? Yeah, we yeah about every four hours we we air out the dogs. Gener- again, generally speaking, that's you know as long as nobody's having any issues. Uh, 
I travel with all of the kind of stand, you know, vet profen, anti-diarrhea stuff, uh, you know, kind of all the standard things that you might want to, I travel with a very full field, uh, first aid kit for the dogs. I've, I've wound up having to staple dogs in the field like three times in the last five years. Um, toward, if you're hunting anywhere where there's barbed wire, it's your dog, is, your, your, your dog is going to tear himself open at some time or, or he's not hunting very hard. That's <laughs> what I would say. Um, yeah. So, so I carry, I carry staplers, uh, you know, I carry uh, vet wrap that, that elastic wrap, um, quick stop, uh, you know, all, all of, I mean, it's probably a list of 80 things that are in my first aid kit, but the first aid kit and knowing where the vet is and what the hours are, those are key to the dog's safety. Um, and then certainly understanding depending on where you're going, what are this, what's the situation in terms of airing out your dog and, you yeah. know, do you need, I, I carry a, a pretty short chain gang. That's a three place because I usually only have two dogs. Um, but I, I usually, you know, chain my dogs out and I bring scoopers so that I can clean up after them. And, you know, a lot of, you know, if that goes a long way with a lot of people, especially if it you're does. doing a VRBO or something like yeah. that. So keeping it clean and neat. I would, depending on your dog, I wouldn't go any place without a bark collar. Cause if you're someplace where you're parked in a parking lot at a motel and people are walking by and your dog is barking, that's not good for anybody. And and that's one of those, if you're friends with somebody that, that has a barking dog, be, <laughs> be that person that calls them out because the people right. that have the barking dogs, they get used to it. They tune right. it out. And, and it's like, yep. they honestly do not hear those dogs. So right. like, I am that type of person where I've just gritted my teeth for a few days until I can anymore to where that dog's just barking nonstop. And you finally have to tell your buddy like, Hey man, you, right. you, you get your dog to shut up. Oh, I never even heard it. I'm like, how did you not hear it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So, so that, you know, in terms of the dogs, those are the main things, uh, be, be, I mean, you, I'm sure know stories. I know stories of, of dogs that like somebody got out at a rest stop and let the dog out. Cause my yeah. dog never runs away yep. and, and suddenly the dog is headed for traffic and you can't turn it, you know? So I have my setup in the back of my pickup truck is that, um, you know, I, I have a, uh, it's a 20 foot flat tape lead. That's actually on a carabiner in you know, clips into the back of my truck. It's there all the time. I let a dog out. He doesn't get off the tailgate until I clip that to him. You know, then I can put him on the ground and water him or whatever, you know, and if I want him to go, go pee, I, I'll, you know, put him on a leash and I'll walk him out to wherever we're going. I like that long lead idea. I haven't thought about that. Uh, generally what I've done is I'll take a small chain gang like you, you have, mm -hmm. or just the stakes and then I'll mm -hmm. just go stake one out. And then while they're, you know, doing their business right. and feeding or water and right. whatever, and I'm getting the other one. And then by the time you get to, you know, three or four dogs, that first one's ready to go back up. Right. And, right. But I, I, I kind of like that lead because I got a couple, you know, hitches in the back of the tailgate or right. bed yep. where you could link that up, just, you know, clip it and go. I like that. Yeah. And I, I mean, my, you know, it's, it's probably a whole nother discussion, but my, uh, you know, I got, I've got a buddy who's 
probably about your age that I've been hunting with for maybe 10 years. And, and I hadn't seen him in a couple of years and he came up and hunted with me last year, which was the first year I was fully retired. And, you know, we, we got into the field and we parked our trucks and well, you know, I was just going about doing our stuff to get our dogs ready and everything. And at lunchtime, when we came back, you know, he was looking at my truck and he goes, dude, you'd like, <laughs> you got this thing like perfect. It's like, it's so set up at this point. I was like, that's because I pack it on September 1st and, and, it unpack. <laughs> and, and everything, and everything stays yeah. in it. And I, you know, I replenish things, but I've got, you know, I've got, you know, whether it's paper towels or hand wipes or, you know, it's all everything, you know, I've got, I've got ammo always in the truck. So in yeah. case I forget or, you know, think I, Oh, I'm, I'm totally out of, cause I shoot 16s and 28s. So like, you don't go to Walmart and buy no. that usually if you run short. So, um, so all that stuff is, is set up so that it's all really where I, you know, I've got a place where I, when I open my, my door, uh, the back door, I drive a Tundra with, you know, four door Tundra and, my vest hangs from a clip off the, you know, the clothes hanger in the back so that when I'm done, that's where it goes. And in the morning, that's where it is. Yep. Um, you know, all little stuff like that, that just, and again, you can't necessarily do that if your truck is serving three purposes, but yeah. you know, I've got another car that I drive around when I'm in town and that's, that truck is basically just for hunting from kind of September till February. So, yeah. um, yeah, all the dogs' water is always in there. You yep. know, the water the water doesn't come out, and I just refill them and put them back in. And so, I, um, yeah, I, I, same way with me. You know, some people might call it OCD, but to me, it's just like <laughs> it's a it's just it's being prepared, it's organized, and and I keep my you know I have a DIY uh, drawer system in the back of my truck, mm-hmm. and right. each drawer ha- each slot in the drawer has its. It's, right. it's stuff. And the only right. time that changes is if we're doing a big road trip and people are getting in the truck, I'll be nice and give a guy or two like one <laughs> drawer to split. But if right. I'm not doing that long trip with them, it's just like I'm prepared to go hunt, camp, whatever at the drop of a hat. I, you know, I may not right. smell great by the end of it wearing the same clothes right. or anything, but... I'm ready to go at any time because yeah. it, you you know as well as I do. Sometimes you just get that phone call on a Thursday night, like you got to get up here tomorrow, and it's, I'm right. on the way. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. And, and I will also tell you that depending on where you're going, do yourself a favor and understand what the roads are going to be like for you to get to where the birds are. Yeah, be- because because I've had I've had experiences with you know I mean on my own where we wound up not being able to get someplace because we were smart enough to figure out that we probably shouldn't go there. But I, I also had a trip where a, a buddy came out to hunt and he had four wheel drive F one fifty with street, you know, Michelin tires on it. And, and it was December, I think. And we got up into the mountains and, and he damn near slid off the side of a, mm. uh, of a very high, embankment to the point where he was pretty darn scared about like i mean one of the wheels was hanging in the air kind of a thing oh wow and we were uh, i finally got a hold of a of a uh, a wrecker by calling somebody i like my i couldn't reach the town we were closest to on cell phone for some reason okay so i called somebody else and had them call and find a wrecker (laughs) 
And the only way that guy could find us, he, he said, I, he goes, you know, does he, does he have a GPS with him? And, and they asked me and I said, yeah. And he said, well, he needs your lat long. He can't, he has no idea where the hell you are. Yeah. We were seven miles off of a two track over, over two lane. And it's four hours later, you know, he, he showed up and, and dragged this guy off of this yeah. edge. But if, I mean, I had, I had just driven up it in my truck with, you know, backcountry tires Yeah, and it didn't even occur to me that he was not going to be able to make it. So, yeah. you know, well, so it, understand the, that in the truck. I mean, the tires, that's a good thing. Uh, my deal down here, especially hunting the mountains, uh, always take an ax or a small chainsaw mm-hmm. if you have room for it, because right. sometimes you can get up that mountain. But if there's a bad storm at night or something, right. you're there for a few days. Getting back down that mountain is the issue sometimes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. And then uh, just a portable battery jumper. I can't tell you how many times that mm-hmm. that little thing has. Fortunately, knock on wood, uh, because I'm saying this, uh, it'll be the first time I actually need it. But I've helped probably upwards of 10 to 15 people with a yeah. with the portable battery jumper in the right. back of middle of nowhere their batteries die and it's just right. man for 40 50 bucks on amazon you you have this thing that just one charge will last you an entire season and right right and so th- there's little stuff like that but uh man me, keith we we can literally talk little tips and tricks about this all night long and you know talk about hunting stories and everything uh is there anything else that you'd like to touch on no, the only other thing that i would say you know going to the fact of especially if you're hunting different birds than you've hunted before um understanding the fact that yeah you know conditions are conditions and you can't control the number of birds especially if you're planning like you said earlier you, you start planning a trip in the spring you've only got this one week of vacation, right? So you're going that week. And if you find out a month ahead of time that the bird numbers are terrible, you know, you can either punt and not go anywhere, or you can go on that trip and make the most of it. And I always chose to go and make the most of it. But a big hint for making the most of it is to do whatever you can in terms of um, fact finding, networking, and just educating yourself on, I mean, if you're going to hunt sharp tails and you've never hunted sharp tails before, um, knowing something about sharp tails and what, <laughs> their habit, what their habitat looks like and what, what their daily schedule is and how that schedule might be different the end of September from the beginning of September. Cause it changes a lot in that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, that can make the difference between finding birds and not finding birds. And it's not, you know, I'm not saying try and become a wildlife biologist and figure it all out, but, but doing like, if, if you're coming out West, you could do a lot worse than reading, you know, Ben Williams, Western wings book, you know, that he goes through every species that you would be finding on the prairie. And he, you know, and he tells you what their daily habits are and what they're doing, what time of year, it's not all going to be perfect. And, you know, Wyoming huns don't live in the same place that Montana huns live Mm -hmm. in in general, it's different cover, but, but knowing that, you know, that sharp tails fly to water, they don't, they don't have to be next to water in the morning. They're going to fly to their water and then fly back. Whereas chuckers are going to walk to water most of the time, you know, and I mean, those kinds of things help you figure out the day. And, you know, like if you, if you hunt grouse, you already know those things about grouse, whether you even 
know you know it or not yeah. you do and you go play yeah. and you go play you like and even if you don't put a name on it you say boy i don't know what it is but every time i go to this south facing hillside in the afternoon you know where there's some berry bushes i find grouse there and i never see him when i go there in the morning you know like well connect the dots right but but knowing knowing that knowing that as much as you can about the birds you're going to go hunt and if you can't do that, hire a guide for the first two days. And and the, you'll learn enough in the first two days to go hunt for yourself for the next three days or four days, whatever it is. Absolutely. You know, that turns out to be a good a good investment. Well, and that that that's all great tips. And I mean it's it goes back to at the end of the day, what are what are we? We're hunters. If you're gonna hunt, you have to know something about what you're actually hunting, uh, to, to right. figure it out. And it's okay if you don't don't know, but be honest with yourself and don't go on your first trip being like, oh man, I'm going to shoot a limit every single day or right. else it's a failed trip. Again, go go back to that. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt. There's a learning curve. Give your dog a benefit of the doubt. There's a learning curve for them. But ultimately, get out there and have fun. See new areas. Check out new birds. You know, we, it, we all have our own little special birds that we love to chase, but there's just something different when you chase different birds with the dogs and, and the dogs get to yeah. experience something different. I mean, yeah. it's just... I, I can't really put it into words. I'm not the authors that you grew, grew up reading and got you excited <laughs> to do this. Uh, but all I know is there's there's something there's something there to where if all you've done is this one species in your backyard, start eyeing. You know, you don't have to go 20 hours away, but start figuring out what's within 10 hours. What's something right. that I can go do and try and, and and dip my toe in the water on this. And and, and the other thing is, you know, we we kind of glossed over this point earlier. Uh, not to belabor this, but, you know, you could ask why when I lived in New York and could hunt grouse and woodcock in my backyard, did I go to the UP of Michigan, you know, to hunt woodcock and grouse or Wisconsin to hunt grouse in particular? Um, and the answer to that was, you know, certainly the, the thought that there's from everything I read, they've got way more of them than, than I do now, you know, you living in Tennessee, that's an easy equation because anywhere you go, there's going to be more <laughs> grouse than where you live. But, yeah. but, you know, I mean, so I went to the UP of Michigan because that was Nirvana for, for woodcock hunting. You know, that's everything I read was that that's where you want to go. And so we went there and went, yeah, we can, we can find birds here. There's a lot more birds. They're not in exactly the same cover, but you stop and think about it. They, they're filling the same, there's same needs are being filled, right? From their, you know, you know what their predators are and you know what, how they're trying to avoid their predators and you figure that out. Um, so there's, there's something that can make you a way better hunter on your home birds. If you go hunt those birds in other places and start recognizing, oh, it's not that it's sumac trees, it's, it's that it's, you know, trees with a certain density and a certain canopy that protects them from hawks overhead that, that they're after, you know, or those kinds of things. So it's, it's, it's educational and it's fun. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Well, Keith, I, I appreciate you taking so much time out of your, your evening and, and sharing some of your stories. We'll definitely it's my have to, pleasure. I, I feel like we just scratched the surface and uh, we'll definitely have to have you back on to tell some more of the stories later on down the road. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, I think it was a, 
it's always time well spent if I've got a whiskey in my hand and we're talking <laughs> bird dogs. And so I, I never, I, I never run out of, of the interest in doing that. So the, there's worse ways to spend an evening for sure, but there, uh, there that, certainly are definitely appreciate it. Uh, listeners stay tuned for the, the outro on this episode and uh, we'll check back next week. All right. And that's going to do it for our full conversation with Keith. I hope you guys really enjoyed it, both part one and part two. To me, these are the type of conversations that really kind of got the podcast started in general. You're, you're having, there's a little bit of everything in this from tips and tricks on how to travel and make your trips better to getting your dogs prepared and, and ready and up to level two chase all these birds across the entire country uh, to just practical hunting advice and and experience which is going to make the overall experience even that much better which i think we kind of touched on a number of times throughout both episodes to where this is all about enjoyment you know we're all about the experience of chasing these birds in new areas with our dogs that's the fun of it you know yes there are trips to where it's like i mean we're we're out there to kill birds we are out there to hunt and successfully chase and find and kill birds that's ultimately what we're doing but everybody's why is a little different you know at me personally i put a lot more emphasis on the dog work than what most people do uh i don't i don't judge other people for hunting however they want uh, you know anybody that's been listening to this podcast for any extended period of time knows i say all the time if it's safe legal and fun have at it just don't judge me for how i want to hunt too that's all, that's all i ask uh but keith you know he's just that type of guy to where I love talking to people like him because you can just you can just feel the passion and the love that they have for what they do. You know, it, it's it's not about numbers. It's not about filling up a tailgate. Uh, while you can tell he uh, definitely appreciates the the culinary aspect of it, the food, the the culture of it. Uh, you know, it, he he also is aware that he, he can go buy a chicken at the grocery store, right? Uh, so he's kind of realistic about that. So it's just. To me, it's just one of those things to where if you've been, if you've primarily only hunted one area, even if it's out of state, you go out of state to the same place every year, you know, if you ever have that thought that maybe it's just not as exciting as it once was, or it's just missing something, you can't even put your finger on it, consider going somewhere new, chasing a new bird. You know, I I can pretty much guarantee you're more than likely not going to be as successful if, if your success of a trip. 100% hinges upon you killing a bunch of birds, you're going to be able to shoot a lot more birds going to the same area that you're familiar with, chasing the same birds in the same manner. Uh, And one day I'm probably going to be there to where, you know, it's just like, this is where I go. This is where I want to hunt. But for right now, it's, it's always what's next. You know, what's the next bird? What's the next state? What's the next region? Uh, to me, that's what keeps me driven. You know, not everybody needs an upland slam to motivate them. Uh, but to me, it's like whatever your reason is, uh, come up with some goals, some clear, definable goals. I mean, even if it is just as simple as I want to hunt X amount of hours this year or cover X amount of miles this year, what, whatever it is, whatever works for you and your why, do it. You know, have fun though. Uh, stay driven, stay purposeful with it. Just like we preach about it in the training sessions, have intent, have purpose behind whatever you're doing with your dogs. You need to do that with your trip too, especially when most of us 
have a finite amount of vacation days and opportunity to travel. You know, gas is not going to be cheap this year. You know, this is this is the first season, in, you know, ever that I'm going to be paying this much gas to go on the road. That is going to impact how often I go hunt and where I hunt and who I hunt with. Uh, all that stuff needs to be hashed out and planned so that when you do get the opportunity to go hunt, you're taking full advantage of it and and you're not wasting a bunch, bunch of time and money and resources going somewhere and, and showing up and be like, all right, now what? You know, hopefully you, you have time to put a good game plan together, scout, learn about the bird like Keith was talking about. You know, you're act, you're out there hunting. You know, you need to learn about that bird before you even go in there after it or else you're going to be kicking yourself afterwards because, you know, you could have prepared more. And, and to be perfectly blunt and honest up front, like I have a bunch of trips this fall. I have not been able to put as much time and energy into the research and planning for these trips as I typically and normally do. You know, I am that planner of, of the group. Uh, every year, wherever we go, I'm planning out the trip usually, especially on the logistics, where we're going. You know, that usually falls on me. Uh, this year, I'm, I'm, I've am i been having to kind of share the load with other people a little bit more just because of time constraints and schedules and life gets in the way, whatever. Um but it, it is a little bit of a difference. I, I almost feel like I'm I'm not really living up to what I should be doing for the trip. And it's not even upon us yet. So, you know, it, stuff like that, don't get too carried away. Don't put too much pressure on it because just like preparing too little can impact your trip. Maybe putting too much pressure like I am myself right now can also put too much too much pressure on you to where you maybe don't enjoy your trip or you put too much false expectations or too high of hopes whatever it is fill in the blank uh, I think you all guys all kind of understand where I'm at but at the end of the day you know what we got these dogs they're hunting dogs you know we all test and we don't all test but a lot of us test these dogs but they're still called hunting dogs. We train them to hunt. So get out there and hunt. And, you know, we talk about these versatile dogs. We train these versatile dogs. You know, I know that that means waterfowl mixing with upland and fur, but just have a variety of species, you know. Unless you are that that hunter to where it's just you're just a, a diehard, eat, breathe, sleep, one species of bird, which is fine, have at it. Uh, but most of us, it's like getting good at one species is going to make you better at hunting another species, in my opinion. Just well-rounded. It's kind of like woodsmanship. If you're a hunter and an outdoorsman, just having quality woodsmanship is going to make you a better hunter across the board, no matter what type of hunting you do. To me, if you go get used to chasing one bird, you get a good handle on it, go try a new one, get a handle on it. Either way, you're still hunting with your dog. You're still hunting birds. You're still traveling. You're getting that experience. No matter what, you're still learning and getting better. And, and ultimately, that's all I'm after is how do I get better at this? How do I get to do my passion, my hobby, uh, my interest better? You know, it's like, yes, it is a hobby. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I have to suck at my hobby, right? That That's the way I look at things anyway. And I, I hope you guys do too. But uh, man, I really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, everything from hearing about his Odyssey trip. I mean, who wouldn't want to just load up a trailer or van and hit the road with your dogs and just follow the seasons around? To me, I hope one day that I, I have the capability and opportunity to, to do that. Because to me, that that just sounds like a hell of a good time. 
Just load up your dogs, load up your gear, hit the road, and just see what this country is and, and see what what type of cover and, and regions offer what with what type of birds. It's just uh, I, I, I can talk about this all night long and just daydream about what it would be like to, to do that. But ultimately, you know, there's certain things throughout both episodes that what Keith was saying should resound with uh Everybody. I mean, just focusing, starting with the why. Why do you want to go on a trip? That's important. You know, if you're only going after to to limit on birds, okay, cool. That's going to impact where you go. But if you're after a certain type of experience or lodging area, you know, maybe you're taking your family with you this year instead of, you know, your bird camp hunting buddies, guy friends who, you know, will just everybody just splits a campground, you know. Sometimes if you're taking, you know, your family, your kids, your spouse, what have you, maybe you need a, a some nicer digs. Go catch get a cabin or whatever instead of camping it or roughing it what what have you bottom line is figure it out figure out where you want to go try something new and like we said sometimes these trips do not pan out sometimes they do you have these grand plans and 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 hopes and you get there and it just doesn't live up to your experience that's fine keep going just keep going like like you know there's a couple of trips like i i referred to uh, I'm not mad that I had them. They weren't the greatest trips, but you know what? I'm going to redeem it and I'm going to, I'm going to go back and knock it off the books. I'm going to redo them, uh, at some point. It's, you know, I still learned a lot from each one of those trips. So, and that, that's the bottom line. I can keep repeating myself over and over again, but I think you guys get the point. Um, Guys, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. This is a normal housekeeping we do. It's, it's the worst part of the show, I know, but please bear with me. Uh, hit that subscribe button. Share the show with a friend. Leave a five-star rating and review. If you haven't already, if you're a big supporter of this podcast, you catch it every week, consider throwing us a few bucks on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash yourself. Get that 10% Patreon code that will allow you to save 10% on the hats in our shop. Buy a couple hats, few stickers, whatever. Support the show that, that you listen to every week, right? Uh, it, it goes a long way. We really appreciate it. We have not taken a single dollar out for our personal lives from Patreon, from this podcast. We have not taken a single dollar out for our personal lives. It goes right back in the podcast. It goes right back into buying gear. It goes right back into buying cameras. I mean, literally, like, we aren't getting rich off this show. Hopefully one day uh, that's a possibility. But right now, all we're interested in is making this better. If you have any tips, if you have any criticisms, uh, constructive criticisms, not just, oh, I didn't like that show. Like, get tell me why. Why did you not like the show? I'm all ears. Just give me a better thing than uh, I don't like. It. Okay, cool. Fair enough. No, you know, not everybody's going to like us. But if you have anything that can make us better, consider leaving us an email, gundogityourself at gmail.com. We're open to anything and everything, guest suggestions, topic suggestions, corrections. You know, maybe we said something wrong on an episode. Uh, let us know. I, you know, it's it's one of those. It's too easy for me to say, hey, I got this wrong. Check, you know, here's a correction. It's too easy. Uh, that being said, leave us a review. 
you can do a five-star rating on Apple. You can do it on Spotify. I think there's one on Podbean, Stitcher, whatever. Uh, wherever you're listening, if there's a way to leave a rating and review, please do it. If you don't listen on any of those deals, you can do it on Facebook. And that's what I'm going to read right now is uh, a Facebook review. I don't think we've read one before, but this one is from Vern Harwood on May 4th. It's really clean and simple to the point. Look forward to the new episode every week. I enjoy all of the tips and also hearing about things that didn't go so well. Vern, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I don't know what to think about you You like and hearing things that don't go well from me, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, that's part of it. You know, whether you're dog training, hunting, uh, whatever, things are not going to go great every single time. If somebody portrays that, then they're lying to you. You know, I've had so many training screw ups. I can't even begin to tell you all the stories. I've done some really boneheaded stuff, traveling, uh, hunting. It's, you know, failures are going to happen. It's what did you learn from the failure? If you learn from it, then it's not really a failure. Uh, I know that that may sound corny and everything, but to me, it's the truth. As long as I'm learning from something, I can still get hot-headed. I can get mad, upset in the moment, whatever. But as long as I can learn from that experience and get better for the next time, I'm all good. Uh, But again, I'm not going to hold you up any... I've kind of been rambling long enough anyway uh, on this one. But again, thanks for sticking with this one, uh, part one and part two. I really enjoyed the conversation with Keith. We're definitely going to have to follow up with him because I think there's a lot more meat on that bone that I can can learn from him. And uh, we might just have to reach out to his buddy that he referred to a couple times on the uh, Upland Slam and maybe get some more information on hunting all the different types of birds. I don't know. I may have to check that out. But again, as always thanks for hitting play thanks for uh, listening this far into the episode to hear the outro Uh, and we'll be back next week with another fun and exciting episode of Gundog It Yourself thanks for listening to GDIY if you enjoyed this podcast please remember to take a moment to subscribe rate review and share with a friend also be sure to follow us on facebook and instagram at gundog it yourself if you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content please check out our patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself thanks again and happy hunting Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.